Thanks, worship team. Uh, good morning. The, this, yeah. Let's give everybody a minute. Okay. Around. Did you hear what we just sang? That's a big deal. Just saying. Big deal. Giving you a minute to turn to that. So this morning's scripture is going to be Romans 5, 1 through 5. And that's page 942 of the, the chair Bible. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Good job, buddy. Hey, if you guys are new, this is Toby, and he's our new... Just in case, in case you haven't been here for six or eight years. Anyway, seriously, all right, that's... Appreciate that. <clears throat> I, uh, and uh, we are excited, knowing, seeing, and um, growing and impacting. So, didn't it? I don't know if it's batteries or what, but anyway, um, haven't shown you this pyramid. What we're doing. Our, our knowing God, experiencing grace and extending grace, growing in healthy relationships and impacting others. So basically, experiencing we're going to switch. So we're doing a test. Testing, testing. So, experiencing God's grace and extending God's grace. Is that better? Maybe it wasn't plugged in. I'll take that one in case. I'll just. It has the wrong connector, but oh. grab this side. Okay. All right. So, maybe I plugged it in further. Anyway, um, you know, these are the church's values, but are they your values? Or, or is this something that you just come and, 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 like a movie, watch from afar? I mean, really, all of us, right, should have these values of, of knowing God and his word, right? And, and we all want to experience God's grace, but sometimes extending it to those people in our lives that just push our buttons is hard. Well, that's part of the deal. And then we want to grow in healthy relationships and impacting those. And impacting, that's, that's where we are called to use our gifts, right? We're using our gifts and impacting those near to us and far from us. And so that's all part of the package. Um, and we're excited about that. So we are going through Romans. Now, Romans is not a faith journey, but it's a unifying faith journey from ruin to redemption for Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church. Remember, I painted this picture in the past and the Jews and Gentiles were at odds because Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome, so the Jews leave. Now, up to that point, the church in Rome had a very Jewish flavor. In the absence of the Jews, the Gentiles took over, and the way they did church was really, really different than the way the Jews did church. They're coming from that Hellenistic paganism of power and control and comfort and manipulation and prestige and honor. 
and power and power, Roman. And then, and then the Jews come back and they're like, oh, we're back. We're going to do church the way we used to. And they're like, oh, no, you're not. Who, what, what? And so this big Jewish-Gentile debate is going on in the church. So that's what we're talking about. Change us out. I don't know. T50. Okay, well, I'll grab this thing here. Okay. Same thing. Okay, testing. Hey, that sounds good. Okay, do my little deal here. All right, Nathaniel, thank you. That's awesome. Okay, so, yeah, Jews, Gentiles in the Roman church are at odds. And, and Romans, sometimes we read Romans as this big theological textbook. That is not the way it was written. It was written to a local church that had differences between Jews and Gentiles. And so when we read all this stuff about justification, propitiation, reconciliation, it's in the context of the need for unity. And so the, the, the big question we need to ask when you read Romans is, how does this deep theological message apply to a divided body of believers? And that's, that's kind of where we're at. Okay, so um, chapters one through three, he's been laying the case all people are under sin. The Hellenistic pagans, yeah, obviously everyone knows that. They're just a mess. But even the Jews with their law and the Gentiles without the law, all of y'all are under sin. And that would be a shock to some people, okay? Here's the theme of Romans. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power. It's a Roman value there. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone, Jew and Gentile, who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith, quoting the Old Testament there. So that's what's going on. So here's what we're doing today. On my worst day, how would you fill those blanks in? On my worst day, I am what? I have, well... I will help you fill those in, okay? So that's kind of what we're doing. So, do you have confidence with God? I'm going to ask you a question. Listen to your heart and what happens to 
insides when I ask you this or when I tell you this. I know what you did. <laughs> I used to teach 18-year-olds, and I would say that every now and then. I'd be like, I know what you did. And they would just kind of squirm. Of course, I don't know what they did. Well, sometimes they did. But anyway, so but what, what? Do you have confidence with God? So if somebody says, I know what you did, and I'm going to tell God, well, how do you respond to that? Like, well, one, he already knows. And if you know the gospel, you can just relax and understand you're secure. You're confident before a holy God because of who Jesus is and what he's done. Okay? So, so I just, just keep that in mind. I, I know what you did. What, where does that take you? All right? Um, so chapter 5 is all about uh, justification. Okay? Justification is a legal term. Here, let's define our terms. Justification means to declare um, righteous or innocent, absolve us from punishment. Reconciliation is a relational term. Okay, did you see this for the test? This is how it's easy. J, justification. J, judicial. R for reconcile and R for relationship. So on the matching, you'll get this. Okay, good. Anyway, so defining our terms, that's what we're doing here. But Paul, in the Old Covenant... The Old Testament people, they had a way of thinking of justification in terms of the last day, the day of judgment. So the Jews, as they follow the law, they're thinking entirely of the future day of judgment. That's just how that culture, that church thought. Now, in the New Covenant thinking, Paul comes up and says, yeah, Jesus died and you're justified right now. And they're like, they just like, that's a, that's a radical departure from the way this culture thought about justification, okay? So Paul is saying, right here, right now, you can and you are justified, and that has implications for your Jewish Gentile tensions, okay? So he's going to get in here pretty quick. Seven benefits of justification. I know all good sermons have three points. We have like seven. Just, it's just the way the text works. So anyway, um, the first is justification. That's a little redundant, but basically to, to be declared righteous on the behalf of what Jesus did is huge, and that sets the foundation for everything else. Um, so chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, the, the, the past tense, the perfect tense here, it's a done deal. So it's a Paul's point. It's like, this has already happened. So you today stand in this new position, okay? So that's fantastic. So uh, we're justified, but a benefit is peace. The second half of that verse, because we've been justified by faith, we have peace. Now unpack this. They were seeking justification by the law. Do this, don't do this, good luck with that, you know? And, and if you're trying to achieve justification by the law, will you have peace? No, you never will have peace because you never can fulfill all the law, right? You're, you're always wondering, could have done more. I, I shouldn't have kicked the cat and I shouldn't have lied about burning the toast or driving, you know, the speed that whatever. Anyway, just all this stuff that didn't happen to me this morning. Anyway, we don't have cats. I'm just saying. Um, but if you are trying to find your justification through the law, you're not going to have peace. But because we have justification with God, past tense, we have peace. It's huge, okay? Uh, in the Greek world thought of peace in terms of the absence of conflict. The Jewish-Hebrew world thought of peace, shalom, the presence of wholeness, the presence of God, okay? So it's a complete different, again, the, the Greek and, and Jewish worlds are different about this. In our culture, we think of peace as like, I'm on the couch with popcorn and a remote, just, just easy life. This is not what uh, scripture is talking about. All right, third benefit, 
access. Verse 2. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Amazing language here. And we rejoice in hope. So we have access. So Christ doesn't only fix our relationship, reconcile that. He doesn't all, all only forgive our sins. He gives us a new nature. It's, it's amazing, okay? And he says here in this verse, through him we also have obtained access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. That word rejoice is the same word as boast. Earlier in chapter 2, he was talking to these Jews about, you know, you're boasting in the law, you're boasting in how much you know God. And, and this is awesome here because his basic point is going to be, if you want to boast about something, boast in the hope and the glory of God, not about how you are so special with the law, okay? So, so you've got a little, bit of, a little bit of fun going on with some, some word choices that he's doing. So he's, asking, he's, he's bragging or he's, he's making the point about the access we have because of justification by grace through faith. We have access to God and we can boast in hope. If you're pursuing righteousness, through the law, you have no hope. You never know. Well, you do know you're not, you don't quite measure up, and so there's no confidence, all right? So if you whispered to a Jew, I know what you did, ah, they're trapped. They got no answer. But to a believer in Christ, I know what you did, we just point. Yeah. One, you're right. I did do those things. I don't have to hide or deny that. I just point to Jesus. And he has covered that for me, and I'm okay with him. So, all right, fourth benefit is we have joy in suffering. Now, this is interesting. If, if you're following the law, what does suffering mean? It means you've been bad. You are being punished. In fact, remember I've said this before, zoom way out, that the New Testament mentality, uh, how do the Pharisees explain the presence of Rome in Israel and the oppression of Rome, the hostilities, the abuse, all this stuff? The Pharisees are saying and thinking the reason Rome is here harassing us is because we as a nation have been bad and God is disciplining us with the Romans for our badness. It's this, this, um, this view. And that's why the Pharisees were so like, don't do this, don't do this, because if we can get everybody to behave better, then God will lift the Roman punishment from us. That, that's their driving force. And with that mindset, do you, does this blow your mind? The Pharisees had a good idea. Let's get closer to the heart of God. That's their idea. But the way, the way they went about it was trying to you know, manipulate everybody into like being good. And that's not how God works. Anyway, if you are justified by grace through faith and you have suffering, how do you interpret that? It doesn't mean that you're being punished, although it could. You're not, you're not punishment disciplined, right? I mean, there are times in my life something happens and I'm like, okay, this is God in my life because I was about to go crazy. And he's like, no. I'm like, okay, so that can happen. But inevitably, all the time, that's not where we look to first, okay? All right, so um, key question here. What do you boast in? What do you rejoice in? The, these people here were boasting in the law. We know Abraham, we know this, we have this. We're better than those people. Paul is saying you need to boast 
in hope of the glory of God. And in fact, he, a couple verses down, he says, boast in God himself. So one practical question today is what do we rejoice in? What do we boast in? Now, the concept of boasting and suffering, rejoicing and suffering, is completely countercultural to the Roman world. Roman world is all about comfort, privilege, power. And Paul is up there and like, hey, if they're suffering, let's embrace that and let's boast. They're like, what? So just a flashback here. Remember the gospel of Hellenism. I don't have time. If you're visiting with this before, I've laid out the fact that the word gospel was common in that culture and they understood the good news to come from Caesar and they would use the term euangelion gospel for a whole bunch of other stuff. New Testament writers sort of co-opted that and pointed to Jesus as the best gospel. But anyway, the gospel of Rome was about freedom, pleasure, and power, and man was the measure of all things. That was, that was where they're coming from. So Paul's audience has a view of God that's warped, and they're going to quickly go in the realm of suffering. We did something wrong. The gods are mad at us. This is the Roman way of thinking, and sometimes it's our way of thinking. Yeah, you get a flat tire, like, what, oh, God's angry at me. What did I do? And, and that's not how God works, one, but it is possible that we get a flat tire because God is arresting our attention from grace and love. So we really have to be skilled at figuring those things out. And I just can't give you a card and say this is the story. You have to dig into that and, and uh, read and, and pray and listen to the Spirit of God. But anyway, um, the world that Paul is talking to are assuming that bad things happen because God is angry, and then you have to do some sacrifices and get them off your back. And remember, in the, the world of multiple gods, you will never know exactly what they need because you don't have any idea of who they are, how many they are. So Plutarch is a guy that wrote about this phenomenon, and he says he's just describing this, this, uh, this desperate approach to appease the gods. Um, so he's talking about a guy that, that had to appease the gods. He says, he sits outside his house with sackcloth on and filthy rags about him, and oftentimes he rolls naked in the mire as he confesses his diverse sins and errors of his eating this or drinking that, walking in a path forbidden by his conscience. That's just, and he, he's, he's, he doesn't prescribe that. He thinks it's kind of stupid, but he's saying this is what some people do, all right? People have always thought this way. Of like, well, I, you know, God's angry, so this bad thing happened, so I have to do a good thing to make him get off my back. And that's, that's not how God works, all right? So justification by grace through faith, gives us a new perspective on suffering. We can, we can actually rejoice in suffering. Um, so, another key question here. What question do you ask when suffering comes? There's two questions. Why or how? Why did this come? This always happens. I shouldn't happen. I'm not a bad person. Okay, why? The blame thing. Or how? One, be behind how is the assumption, don't like it, wouldn't choose it, but still, Lord, how can I become more like you through this? What, what can you do in this situation? So, how or why, those are our options. Um, now, tribulation, um, the word comes from this, um, 
the, the Latin word tribulum. And they, they had this wooden plank with a bunch of stones embedded in it, and they would drag it over a grain to thresh and separate the wheat from the chaff. In the Old Testament, they would throw it up in the air, and the wind in the New Testament, they would just drag this, and it would crush it and separate. And so tribulation separates the wheat from the chaff, and there is this hope, and you see in the text here coming up, this is what, this is what tribulation trials do. Um, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. So tribulation actually, because we're justified by grace through faith, tribulation accomplishes something. It's not just to be avoided. It, it's, it's on purpose. It can be redeemed. That's crazy, right? That, that our, even in a fallen world, someone steals your stuff and steals your mountain bike, and, and, and it's just bad. Through that, God can still refine my character. There's nothing that can happen to us on this life that is outside of the realm of God's grace to use for his purposes. That's amazing, okay? All right, and it says that we won't be put to shame. Um, all right, and so the fifth one, the fifth benefit of justification by faith through grace <clears throat> is the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, another, another past tense. Has been given to you, have him, okay? Now, <clears throat> Romans 8, he develops the Holy Spirit more. And there's this great verse in Romans 8 and 9, I think it is, that says, all believers have the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. Okay, I don't know if you've studied the Holy Spirit a lot. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go, and David is like, please don't leave me. I, it really bothers me when you leave me. I like it when you're with me. We never have to worry about that. The Holy Spirit is with believers 24-7. But you're thinking, wait a minute. I've seen some really, really not Jesus-like Christians that don't exhibit the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. That's because they're either grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit. Grieving is, I know that's wrong. Going to do it anyway. Be forgiven tomorrow. So just shut up. Quenching, oh, that was, that was quenching. Grieving is like sinning and, and just making him super sad. So, but the Spirit is still there. It's like a warning light on your car. You're tired of the warning light. Instead of fixing the problem, you just take a hammer and smack it. No more warning light. Uh, not a good plan, but that's what some people do. Okay, verse 6. Look at these words. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we were weak and ungodly, morally powerless, refusing to worship him. And then he goes on here. I'm just going to roll through this. Verse 7, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but maybe a good person. Now the Jews are going to think, oh, that's us. Yeah, he would die for us. We're good. We do the law, okay? Um, for a good person, maybe somebody would die. But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, another one, we're, we're sinners, he died for us. And then while we're enemies, hateful, actively hostile. So, so the Jews, I think especially, would be looking at this going, so, so you're saying we're not good. <laughs> you're weak, you're ungodly, still sinners and enemies. Yeah, that, you're, you're starting to tune into uh, the problem here. Because in your eyes, you look pretty good. Your neighbor looks pretty good. But in God's eyes, it's a whole different deal. And it's his eyes that determine reality, not our eyes. Okay. So, and then, we're, we're now in verse 9, in case you're, I jumped ahead there, but verse 9, um, he starts this language of much more that's really intentional. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the future wrath of God. 
So Paul is dismantling their ability to be justified by the law and, and all that stuff, even the Gentiles, the, their, um, their ability. So zooming out here, Paul is saying grace superabounds. Grace has nothing. I mean, sin has nothing on grace. You think your sin is a big deal? Grace is a bigger deal. You think sin has destroyed your world and your relationships? Grace can heal those relationships. You think Adam screwed up the world? Jesus can fix it and more than fix it, redeem it, reconcile it. Sin can't hold a candle to grace. If it's a boxing match, as soon as the bell goes off, grace knocks out sin. It's not even a fair fight. It's just done, okay? Grace superabounds. Number six, the benefit of justification by grace through faith is future deliverance from condemnation or the wrath of God. Now, this is what the Jews are really concerned about because their, their whole thing, even Jesus, they'll quote Jesus, says, you know, um, on the last day, you will be justified. It's all future to them, okay? So they, their question is, okay, Paul, for the sake of argument, let's just say we believe you in this whole justified today thing. It's weird, but okay, we'll believe you. Well, how do we know that in the future day of judgment, the thing we're really concerned about, how do we know then that any of this is going to work? I mean, we're putting this all on the line here, and, and with the law, we have the sense, it's a false sense, but we have the sense of like, we're in control and I can measure and I feel confident, even though he's showing them that it doesn't work, but that's kind of where they're coming for. Okay. So that's the question they're, they're trying. And Paul is saying here that, um, verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled much more now that we're reconciled, we'll be saved. He's saying that if he's done the harder thing of justifying us while we're enemies, surely he'll do the easier thing, delivering us from future wrath. In other words, he's already declared you righteous. What sense does it make for him to judge you and condemn you in the future of the wrath that he's already forgiven you for? So Paul's trying to help them understand that his way of justification by faith through grace, far superior to their approach of the law. It offers hope. It offers confidence that they can never have following the law. They're reconciled. Again, that reconciled word is relational, fixing the relationship. Okay? Christ's death and his life give assurance that what he is talking about, he will do. All right? So, um, we have this, this much more language here that he starts to sprinkle in. in, the, in the, this is a rabbinical teaching tool called, uh, you probably don't care, but Calvacomer. And it, it means the, the, the minor and the major. And so, they'll contrast um, uh, one thing with a bigger thing. And he goes through, and in verse 9, he's like, um, we've been justified by his blood. Much more we're saved. Okay? On the next verse, well, we've been reconciled while enemies, so much more will be saved by his life when we're not enemies. Verse 15, many died from Adam's sin, will much more grace abound for many through Christ's obedience. And then death reigned through one man's sin, so much more life reigns through the grace of Christ. So he's just trying to steer them again. He's using tools that they use. This, this is a method that they see every, every time in the synagogue. He's using this to, to steer them to look to Christ and his sacrifice and not for their own self-made righteousness. All right. Verse 11. More than that, we rejoice. Present tense. Right now, today. In God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we 
have now received reconciliation. Today, this is that radical thought. Today, you can enjoy this position that you have with God. Um, and that's his point here, number seven. Benefit of justification is our present relationship. It's something that's going on right now, and you can enjoy that. So again, um, we're saved from our past sins. We have a future hope of no wrath or condemnation, and we can enjoy that relationship today. That's good news. That's a way better good news, better gospel than anything Rome or Hellenism has to offer. So, uh, again, the Jews are wondering if, if Paul's radical ideas, how's that going to work in the future day? And um, he's saying it's better than the law. This is a point that uh, Toby brought up last Sunday in chapter 4. Here's a verse, listen to this. Because... Um, justification by faith, Paul puts forth Abraham as a great example, because Abraham was labeled righteous before he did the law. And so I just, give me a time machine, and that might be my top 10, top 20, you know, whatever. But anyway, I'll work on that later. But um, just to see the Jews, as, as Paul gives them that argument, because what, what, what do you do with that? You can't argue against that. Here's Abraham, your hero. God calls him righteous here. But down time, chronologically later, that's when he does the law. So doing the law doesn't have any aspect on him being righteous. It's just faith. And so, um, fascinating. So here's the verse. I'm sorry, I didn't read it. Um, Paul says in Romans 4.16, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed. I'm going to read it again. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace grace and be guaranteed. See, if, if, you, if it's based on the law, you can't guarantee it because you can break the law and you're done. But if it rests on faith and grace on what Jesus did, he perfectly accomplished it. And you can guarantee that. Can't you see how these Jews would be, their whole worldview is exploding and a few of them probably saw hope and were willing to just jettison their entire heritage, their culture, their tradition and move forward. Few of them. Nicodemus, I think, some others. Anyway, so that's, that's an amazing, an amazing, amazing thing. So how does God give us hope and confidence through his Real death, his real resurrection, and the real indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, and uh, the whole rest of the, the, the rest of the chapter, uh, he does a bunch of more contrasts here. To uh, I'll zip through those here. Um, but it's interesting. So, we, we are sinful because of what we do, but also because of who we are. There's a double-edged a double sword, and he's going to unpack this here. So, um, the next 10 verses, he gets into this parallelism. Just as Adam's sin brought death into the world, so Jesus' righteousness and obedience brought life into the world. So just a, a contrast. He goes back and forth like a tennis match, back and forth, back and forth. As Adam's one sin never fails to bring death, so Christ's one act of righteousness never fails to bring life. This is where we're going. And so this, this is a deep passage here. A lot of theological things going on. There's like... Um, Two or three books written on this, <laughs> like two or three thousand anyway. So yeah, so here's what we know. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, death came to us all because all sinned. We know that. We know that death entered the world through Adam. We know that we're physically, we're born physically alive, but spiritually dead. 
We know that Adam's sin was the origin of the problem. And we know that sin was somehow inherited art to us. Like, we, there's a connection between that. What we don't know is how. Is he merely our, like, political or official representative? Or is he, that's federal headship, or is he, is some kind of biological through the genealogy passed down, that's natural headship. I'm not going to get into that, but um, by the way, we're having a, you know, that new class we have digging deeper, so, so I'll, I'll pass that hot potato to Toby. <laughs> Good luck with that. You can, um, you can talk about that, but anyway, um, seriously, we have that class digging deeper where we get into this passage in, in, in depth, and that's after this. Anyway. So we don't know how that sin, but we know that sin has predisposed us all to sin. All right? So you may be thinking, how, how is it fair that I'm responsible, culpable for sin that Adam did? I wasn't even there. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And those are the, those are the options. Um, I think he was a representative. And uh, in him, we sinned, or we would have sinned, and we're, we're held guilty. So all people sinned. What Adam did in the fall affects everybody. What Jesus did on the cross offers everybody forgiveness. All right? So we're talking about death here. Death, physical, spiritual death. Verse 13 is good. Another argument here. Uh, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Now that's going to blow the Jews' mind because their whole thing that, that, that sin and death are, are kind of a result of the law. And again, Paul's like, these things happen before your law shows up. But sin is not counted where there's no law. Verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So Paul is like, okay, so death is a result of the law. But look at this. Even before the law, there's death. How do you guys explain that? All right. Prior to the law of Moses, there was sin and death. And so Paul is saying, if sin is a result of breaking the law, how do you explain this? Again, they probably have no answer, all right? Um, And so here he goes on with uh, verse 15 and following. The free gift is not like Adam's trespass, for it many died through the one man's trespass. Much more, here's that word again, much more. The grace of God, the free gift of grace, that one man Jesus amounted for many. So I'm going to zip through here. I'm just going to kind of paint a picture. I don't want to overwhelm you thing, but he's doing this back and forth thing. So just going to rule this pretty, pretty quickly here. But in Adam, you have the transgression and death. And in Christ, you have the free gift and life. That's verse 15. Verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of Adam's sin. That resulted in judgment. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So, uh, the second one, sin results in condemnation. The free gift results in justification. Verse 17, he goes to death and life. Death reigned with Adam. Life reigns with Christ. Verse 17, because of Adam's trespass, death reigned. Much more, there it is again, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift reign in life. So death and life. Now, if you're a Jew in the Roman church and you're fighting with your Gentile brothers over how to do church and, and we're better than you, we have the law, you don't, and the, you know, the, the stupid Hellenistic pagan people, and you're going through this, um, where's the life of the Spirit? Following the law is going to result in arguments. Following the Spirit will result in unity. And he's, he's going through trying to show them that. Verse 18, one sin resulted in condemnation. One act of righteousness resulted in justification. 
19, disobedience made sinners, obedience made righteous. So he's just going through, and it's a pretty good argument. I mean, I would give Paul an A+. Plus. This is really good stuff, right? How are the Jews going to respond to this? They're not going to like it, um, but that's all right. And down here, we keep going. The Mosaic law increased sin. God's grace hyper-increased. Um, and so this is interesting. I want to pause here on verse 20. Um, Mosaic law increased sin. Sometimes we think that the law is to um, fix things. The law is not to fix anything. The law made things worse. The law doesn't rescue anybody from sin. It, it reveals sin. And so uh, I saw a classic example of this when I was at Grace years ago, like 20 years ago. There, somebody had in the mail room, there's always like stuff, free stuff, post-it notes or pencils or whatever. Somebody had a box of combs, you know, combs back in the day. Anyway, and it said unbreakable combs. First, I'm like, who cares if, how, how many times is like, oh, combs always break. Oh, what is that? Anyway, it said unbreakable combs. And somebody had twisted this comb and twisted it and twisted it and twisted it and twisted it until the plastic gave away, broke it, and they stuck the two halves on the sign that said unbreakable combs. And that is the spirit of the law, right? This, you can't do this. I will do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I must do that. That's just how we're wired. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, and I have examples I've shared with you in the past about mountain biking past the sign that says, don't do this. And, and I'm like, oh, that sign is for other people. <laughs> so we rode about 100 yards, and then I'm like, yeah, that's for me. And we had to go back anyway. It's amazing how we can do that. The, the law, it reveals and defines, I am a transgressor. That's the purpose of the law. So when you feel beat up and shamed and guilty by the law, agree with it and run to Jesus and find your full justification, reconciliation to him and go, okay, that may be true or was true. It doesn't define my identity now. I am in Christ and a whole new thing is a reality for me. Um, but we need to know scripture and we have to understand how Satan works us there, okay? So, the law reveals sin, and finally, sin reigns in death, grace reigns through righteousness in life, and that's where he's going. So, Paul is saying everyone's guilty. Um, you're guilty. We are guilty for what we did. I sinned, but we're also guilty for, for who Adam made us, our nature. And Jesus fixes both. He not only forgives the sins that you and I did and we will do, he gives us a new nature. That verse I read at the very beginning, 2 Corinthians, everything's new. We have a new nature, new desires, a new heart, love, listening to the Spirit of God willingly. It's an amazing thing. All right. So, uh, this is a bit long, but I'm trying to summarize it. We have confidence and hope today because justification being legally cleared before God and reconciliation being made right relationally with God, they're available now today through faith in Christ's death and resurrection. Not following the law, which was designed not to rescue us, but to reveal sin in us. So, this is Paul's message. Grace superbounds. That, that word grace abounded all the more. It literally, in Greek, hyper. The, the Greek preposition hyper abounded. So this is why. As Adam's one sin never fails to bring death, so Christ's one act of righteousness never fails to bring life. I don't know about you, but for me, on my worst day, I am loved and I have hope. In the midst of my sin, 
when I'm lying about the burnt toast, kicking the cat, speeding on the way to church on my worst day, hypothetical, I am loved and I have hope because it doesn't depend on my performance. It depends on the performance of Jesus. And that gives me peace. And I long to move to, to God. I long to be in his presence because he's good. The enemy wants to say that he's bad and he will shame you and hurt you. And, and that is a lie. We have to be attuned to the strategies that the evil one has about how we think about God. Remember, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. If you don't think right about God, you're going to be fair game for all kinds of errors. So, leads us to our key questions. What do you ask when trials come? Which question? How or why? Blame? How? I'm sorry. Let me slow down here. Why? Why does this happen to me? It always happens to me. It doesn't happen to anybody else. I've been a good person. I don't deserve this. Or how? Asking how doesn't mean you like it. It's just reality. We live in a broken world. And nothing is under the umbrella, nothing is outside of the umbrella of God's grace and his ability to redeem any brokenness that is done to us, through us, or whatever else. All right? What are you boasting or rejoicing in? The Jews and Gentiles were boasting about how they were better than everybody else. And Paul is like, how about we boast in the hope that we have because of justification by grace through faith? How about we boast in the glory of God and God himself and become unified as a body instead of boasting that separates us? And what are you hoping in? Comfort, peace, intimacy with Christ, so, we all live, I've talked about this before, we're, we're all in this big arc of redemption that's decades long. And we're all at some point in the middle of it with a lot of things that are undone. Tensions, problems, things we would love to see resolved, and they're not resolved as we stand here today. And that puts us in a position of faith, trusting God, like that... that um, tribulation wooden thing to just let him separate the wheat from the chaff produce a fruit of righteousness he is good and his time is slower than we want but his time is right and so we can trust him and walk with him as we wait for those things to work out so heavenly father thank you for being good Thank you that, that on our worst day, we're enemies, we're sinful, we hate you, we're running away, shouting and screaming, full of lies and bitter anger on that day, you died for us. Wow. So may we realize that on our worst day, we are loved and we can have hope because of your sacrifice because of your resurrection, because of your conquering sin, death, and darkness. You not only fix and forgive our, our personal sin, but you, you give us a new nature. That is amazing. We're, we're, we're humbled and grateful to receive you, your spirit, and we pray that we would find increased joy in walking with you uh, through the trials that our life gives us. Amen.